So anyway, constraints. I mean, constraints don't have to be kinky, do they? Handcuffs don't have to be kinky. They don't have to be. But um, they can be. They don't have to. But be. they do add a lot more fun. Though I, I won't deny it. My friends tell me that. Yeah. I mean, the thing about setting constraints, there's three things, really, isn't there? It's like, the first thing is you've got to know what you want. Mm -hmm. Same with dating, I suppose. You know, if you you just go onto Tinder or somewhere and you basically just want anything with a pulse or at least warm and a hole in it, well, that's exactly what you'll get. And I don't know what Tinder's like. I've never been on Tinder, but, you know, dating websites before apps came out was when I met Sarah. There were some real fucking mingers on the website I was on. I was on And Tinder I was perhaps for, one of them, to be fair. I was on Tinder for like three months when I was 17. Yeah, not a good place. No. Not a good no, place. No, I, I, I've heard the horror stories from my daughters and, and my son on Grindr. <laughs> Story for another day. Story for another Constraints. day. Constraints. In business are a good thing. That's essentially what this whole episode is going to be about. We're going to be talking about embracing those constraints and using them to help you focus and go a little bit further rather than doing what most people do, which is pissing and moaning that they can't do something because of X, Y, and Z. Instead, you should embrace those things as boundaries to Mm. to almost protect what you're trying to do and then maximize what you can do in the now smaller constrained circle. And John was absolutely right before he went down the... uh, the, the Tinder rabbit hole. You got to know what you want. You got to know what your limits are, and then you got to decide what you can and you will achieve. <laughs> I'm glad you. Did, I'm glad you didn't say you went down the grinder hole. <laughs> I'm really yeah, glad you careful. didn't say. That. I'm very careful. Um, yeah, because I mean, to give, give a concrete example of this, when you see say on LinkedIn and people's tagline or their headline, whatever you like to call it, and they'll say things like, "I don't know, proofreader, copywriter, fucking flower arranger." They've got a massive broad range. They're basically saying, I've got a dozen different skills and I don't do anything for money. And I, I get why they do it. You know? Desperation. But yeah, they, they, I'll do anything for money. But, you know, you'd get, you, you do far more business and you'd be far more successful if you, if you narrow down your focus like a, like a laser beam. I'm not saying laser focus because lasers don't focus. But if you narrow it down like a laser beam, you'll get a lot. You know, so you could become... You know, imagine you're a dog sitter. Okay, you earn so much. But if you become a dog sitter who specialises in aggressive Rottweilers, mm-hmm. you know, if the population in your town is big enough, you make a lot more money because you can charge a premium because I can deal with fucking aggressive Rottweilers. But, John, I've now got a smaller target market. I have fewer people to sell to. Yeah, so instead of like having ten thousand dogs to sell to or dog owners to sell to, you've got a thousand. You can't get you can't yeah. you can and never you only sell need all ten, of them. you fucking idiot. Yeah, you, you need you, for, to all intents and purposes, with very rare exception, your target market, and I don't care what you do, even if you were to sell fucking prosthetics to one legged people, your target market, because there are millions of them in the world at least. Your target market is, to all intents and purposes, infinite because it, it's orders of magnitude bigger than you can ever possibly sell to or serve. Mm-hmm. You know, even like Am- a big big business like Amazon, say selling books, their market they still they still don't sell to everyone who buys books. A lot of people won't buy books from Amazon and stuff. You know? So even someone like Amazon doesn't sell to everyone who reads books mm-hmm. or indeed buys anything else online. Eh, there's riches in the niches. There are riches in niches, as the Americans. Riches in the niches and South Africans. 
that's what that was meant to be. That was more like a brummy, that was. You know what I mean? Sounds like you're from Birmingham. Would have come back to my hut. Riches in the niches. So, yeah, you need to know what you want. (laughs) You do. Really. You do. And a lot of this comes down, a lot of the complaints I hear about constraints is uh, around projects and things that people want to do. Oh, I really want to do this, but I don't have the time. Oh, I really want to do this, but I don't have the money. I really want to do this, but I don't have the right equipment, the right people. Oh, I really want to do this, but I haven't got the right uh, tech technological knowledge. Uh, or if I do this thing, it's going to break down my tech, but I really want to do it. Or I really want to do this thing, but I don't have enough knowledge. Rather than the seeing these things as, as reasons not to undergo the project, instead, imagine imagine you can do anything. Now, the things that you can't do and the things that are you're seeing as constraints, they, they allow you to carve out a very small portion of that everything, which means you can no longer do everything. You can only do some things. And knowing you can do something inside of those constraints is far better than s- sitting there and going, well, I can do anything. Because if you feel like you can do anything, you often do nothing at all. If you embrace those constraints and ask yourself, well, what can I do in relation to this thing that I want to do with a budget of £100 working an hour a day uh, with me, myself and I and only my laptop because I've got no more equipment with these tech equipments and the knowledge that I have, you'll be able to come up for an answer with that. You will. And then rather than focus on, I can't do it because you're going to be like, I'm going to build this thing because I have these resources. Mm-hmm. There's a, a really kind of funny apocryphal story or a, a, a bit of a colloquialism, I suppose, here in Ireland, which is, you know, you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere and you, you stop a farmer and say, how do I get to Cork? What's the, you know, what, how do I get to Cork? And he'll go, oh, you don't want to try to get there from here, you know, meaning it's complicated. Mm. But this is where you are. So this is where you have to, to start from. And it's the same with that. I mean, it, you have to deal with what you have. And I do know people. I mean, a good example, and I actually wrote an email about it um, this morning or for this morning, um, is people say to me, I would give anything to solve this problem. I would give anything to to get better clients and sell at premium rates. I'd give anything to give my family, my partner, my kids, the life I promised them when I started this business. I'd do, it, do anything. I'd, you know, it's really, I'd do anything. So then I tell them how much work's involved, not so much the quantity, but how uncomfortable it is. And then I tell them how much we charge. And then I tell them it means stepping on toes, ruffling feathers, rocking boats, slaughtering sacred cows. And all of a sudden, it's not that important anymore. Yeah. Oh, no. No. So, I guess no, I said anything. It's just, it's just bullshit excuses. And the excuse they normally give is, oh, it's too, it's too expensive. The money is never really a problem. Not, not if you seriously listen to what we teach. Yeah. When we've got people who, I mean, I want to say it's not quite routinely, I suppose, that's to be fair, but it's not unusual for our clients to start charging 10 times or more what they were charging before. I can think of at least three people off the top of my head who've done it recently, or at least have said they're doing it recently. Well, you know, anyone can do it. If one person can sell at 10 times their current rate, it means... Pretty much most people probably can say Kestabu. And if you can't do 10, you might do five or three or even two. But to say you can't afford it, well, that's because you're looking at paying us from your current business. Well, your current business is shit. That's what you're talking to us, you <laughs> fucking muppet. Constraints shouldn't be limiting. And for those people that are listening, thinking, well, whenever I go into a project, I'm, I'm really optimistic. I don't even look at the constraints. You know, I've got money, I've got staff. 
I've got I've got the time. If that's the case, you you should voluntarily bring on constraints. Asking, you know, how do we build a marketing funnel? Is pretty broad and focused and probably gets you 101 answers, John, doesn't it? If someone came to you and said, how do, how, how do I build a marketing funnel for my company? You'll go, well, <laughs> where do I begin? Have you got all day? There's a yeah. hundred different ways to do it. But if someone comes to you and says, um, I've got a problem. We currently have no hands-off, uniform way of winning new leads, nurturing them and asking them to make a purchase. So how do we build a marketing funnel? Uh, I've got £10,000. I can only give it an hour a day. Uh, and I've, I've got no idea how to code or write copy, but I do have a really good person on the phone. All of a sudden, those constraints, well, they help you build a far better solution, mm. don't they? So problem-focused projects where you can clearly define the problem that you're solving and then introduce the constraints to the solution that you're going to come up with creates for far better project management and project implementation. Yeah, I mean, it, it, all of this is down to asking the right questions. Now, people like Tony Robbins and others, Stephen Covey, are often credited with being the gurus who who said things like, you know, your, the quality of your life will depend on the, on the quality of your questions. Now, they may have said those words verbatim, but the idea goes back at least 2,300 years to the likes of Socrates and Plato. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, so please, guys, please, gurus, you didn't make this shit up. Stop pretending you fucking did, all right? Um, but the, the more questions you ask yourself, and if you think about it, those kinds of questions are themselves necessarily constraining. Because the answer then eliminates things that are not the answer. Mm -hmm. All right. It's a bit of a, a, a weird one to get your head around sometimes. But people often say, and this, this bugs me no end. People will say, and you see it a lot on LinkedIn, all these, these heart centered people. Oh, you can have everything. You can do all this. You know, you can have everything. You can't. If I decide to go for a walk at 10 o'clock in the morning, I cannot then go to the shops at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. making a choice then rules out at that moment all of the choices. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. Um, but people Say, need to understand yes. this. Saying, saying yes, yes, saying yes rules out all other Says options. no to everything. And knowing what not to do or what opportunities not to pursue, I argue is always more important than actually... I argue is often more important than knowing exactly what to pursue. I agree with you. Time. Yeah. Because it's very difficult to be able to say with certainty, the best opportunity to pursue because you, you can only operate off the information that you have. And it, very rarely do we have the full picture of anything. I'd say we never have the full picture of anything. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that as well. There's always, so, a, always, always an element of uncertainty. And 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 to be fair, you know, even if we have full and complete information at that moment, we ha we have almost no information about what how, what may happen in the future to yeah. affect that. So uh -huh. there's no and certainty. we've got biases, yeah. innate <clears throat> biases. So we've all got constraints, and rather than burying your head in the sand and ignoring them or complaining about them, embrace them because they will they will help you. And especially if you've got a team, they will help you make far better decisions. Embrace your budget constraints, embrace the time constraints, embrace your resource constraints, and use that to guard and create boundaries for what you're trying to build. And you'll build something far, far better 
because those constraints, that, that's what breeds uh, creativity and re resourcefulness. And being a business owner, especially at the beginning, is all about being resourceful, isn't, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, if you imagine you're sitting at home and you're a freelancer, because freelancers are suffering right now. I did warn them if they've not taken action before <laughs> between me warning them and now that's on them. But you know, you're sitting at home, you, LinkedIn's gone off a cliff for you. You've got no business. So you're sitting there just doing more of what's, what's already not working. That's, that's insane. And I say to you, well, okay, why don't you do some direct mail? It costs a pound to send a letter. And I've only got 10 pounds. Okay. Send 10 letters. Well, that's not, it's not enough. Well, maybe it's not, but it's all you've got. Okay, go to the local print print place or print them off yourself. Run off 10 letters and send 10 letters. Save some money on postage and hand deliver them. Okay, and then tomorrow or next week, do 10 more. Because when I started 20 years ago, I sent 23 sales letters and one of them, one of them only got me a contract and everything else has happened since then because of that, because it kept me going. Now, I could have said, and I didn't have any money at the time or not much. I've only got... I can only afford to send 23 letters. That's not enough. I need a bigger, bigger market. I, I won't bother then. Yeah. I'll... It sounds really wanky. Really, really wanky. Most things you say do. Yeah. Th that's also true. <laughs> that's what happens when you operate at, you know, a, a higher level. Of business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck off, mate. You should see it as once you've identified and embraced your constraints in your situation, I can only send 23 letters. Rather than thinking, oh, I can only send 23 letters. That's a positive. That's 23 more letters than you would have mm -hmm. sent without realizing the, the constraints. And rather than running away and putting together a, a campaign that needs a sample size of, say, at least 1,000 because it's experimental, you're like, no, nope, I can only send 23 letters. So they need to be really good fucking letters. Mm -hmm. And then you can ask, well, do I send, uh, I know the math thing, math in, do I send 11 and a half uh, do I send it two letters to 11 and a half people? And it allows you to start asking those questions and again, coming up with better answers rather than thinking wrongfully, you can do everything and everything. Um, and that's exactly what we did when we had our record month. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We did phenomenally well, didn't we? We did. And it all came from embracing the constraints rather than and to be fair to us and to be fair to you very easily could have gone into meltdown mode and throwing our toys out the pram because we the constraints essentially meant meant that the work we'd done for the previous six or eight months beforehand was rendered pointless almost yeah but it was about six to eight months yeah absolutely yeah we threw it away yeah effectively. and but not once did anyone complain or hesitate yeah nor nor did we hesitate we 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 saw the constraints and we saw that the current business model overstepped those those boundaries that the constraints were making so it was like well it doesn't fit anymore it doesn't fit in this tight little box that we're now constrained to so we threw it away yeah. and then we asked ourselves what do we do now <laughs> well we asked ourselves you know we still want to have an impactful top class info business model that generates maximum profit but we can't do it the way we was doing before with these new set of constraints. What do we do? So we did something different. And what happened, Connor? We had a record month. 91K. Yeah, we didn't, there was no woe is me. And John made a really important, important point. And we didn't hesitate. 
There was no, there was no misery. There was no woe as me. We just knuckled down and made the decision quickly. Well, what is it? Dan Kennedy says, swing the ax. Hard and fast. Yeah. Probably a lumberjack <laughs> said that first. Just, just to be clear for the listeners and the watchers here, these constraints we found ourselves under were not self-imposed. No. They were no, they due were. to life events at my end and also to an extent at Connor's end. And they both just seemed to happen to get, well, they just coincidentally happened mm-hmm. at the same time. At we found ourselves life-changing. Yeah, we found ourselves in serious life-changing constraints we had no control over. Mm-hmm. What we did control 100% was what we did about them. Yeah. And that's what we did. And we made 91K in sales in April. Um, we did, I think we've done about 110, 120 in the first quarter of the year, something like that. We did 120 since the constraints were placed upon us. Something like since that. Since we cracked ahead with the, uh, the, went full steam ahead with the full model, which is and, not bad. And 91 of those were in April, I believe, something like that. Yeah, yeah, in three weeks of April, to be precise. Okay, right, fine. So, yeah, we were building a pyramid, multi-layer, multi-product, a more mass market business. Circumstances changed. We recognized the new constraints that were placed upon us. We acted bloody quickly and asked ourselves the question, well, with these constraints, what do we do? Um, And one of the constraints was, right, we need to make money a little bit faster now, wasn't it? And we are that confident, (laughs) this can sound incredibly arrogant, but we are that confident that we can literally write our own checks. Yeah, we can. In the future. (laughs) Let's let's not beat about the bush here. We we can. We decide our prices and we're damn good at fucking selling. Exactly. So that's what we do. We knuckled down. We built the solution, which was a core control. Um, And that's based off what our 30-year-plus combined experience Five years, four yeah, years I mean, working together. Core control actually came out in October, I think, but we dramatically up leveled it. Yeah. In February. Yeah. But yes, know, yeah, absolutely. And all we did, all we did, just just to make this painfully clear, we recognized the constraints. We we made it very clear what the problem was, and then we raised a question to solve that problem. And then because the quality of the question, we got a quality answer and then we just ran with it. So if you're ever feeling stuck, don't know what to do next, just adopt a problem finding mindset, identify the problem and then ask the correct question to solve that problem. Um, And then your next steps will become very, very clear, whether that's with the project, where to take the business next, what to do with a a member of staff. It'll help you identify those bottlenecks and your job as a business owner is to just continually loosen and undo those bottlenecks so you can keep the business moving. Yeah, I think one of the problems people have is they want certainty. Now, it might sound a bit weird and I don't fully understand it myself. I can't explain it. But despite my desire for routine and, and order being autistic, I'm perfectly okay with uncertainty. So. We, we we understand marketing and business and sales at a very deep level. So we know more or less what works most of the time in most circumstances. But we don't know for sure what the result's going to be. So we're confident. We, we effectively trust the process. And not just the process we've got in place to sell shit, but the process we have in place to create the processes to sell shit. 
Mm. Okay. You know, we've been doing this a long time. We know how to ask the right questions. And when I run a, a hot seat, say for elite or boardroom, um, that's one of the, the, the most powerful things about it. The questions I ask, which are deeply uncomfortable that have even grown men crying, but I know how to ask the right questions. This is one of the benefits of working with us, of course. The ability to ask the right question mm. at the right time about the right problem. And demand an answer. I won't let you bullshit me. <laughs> God. <laughs> Got any stories about people? Who have, any people who have lived to tell a story that have tried to do that? Well, yeah. I mean, in hot seats, they, they don't do it. They, they do it for valid reasons. They're embarrassed. And often they don't even know it themselves. Yeah. Um, but, you know... If someone's getting emotional in a hot seat, I don't doesn't mean to say I then avoid the, the, the situation. On the contrary, their emotional reaction is telling me there's something then that they probably need to talk about. And it's not like I'm a bully; I don't shout and scream. But equally, I don't. I can be quite nurturing and gentle, but like a parent getting to the truth, you know. Yeah, I need to man. know the truth before I can help you. Yeah, lay out all the facts, which again is similar to identifying your constraints, right? Yes. <laughs> where's the uh the points of difficulty here well it's a really good example there was there was one guy years ago his marriage was falling apart and everything it came down to was i can't do this because my marriage is falling apart i'm really unhappy at home and and really when we when we we went through this i mean it's obvious to me on the outside from about the first time he opened his gob you need to end the marriage you know and that's what he was saying, but it was then, I want to get out, but I can't. I want to do this, but I can't. You can. You really yes. can. Staying is a choice. Absolutely. And he eventually kind of grokked that, and I think they split up, and he's a lot happier now. But um, Look at look, you, breaking up marriages, you fucking swine. I can't even remember his fucking name now. I've got a picture of his <laughs> I, know, I know who he is, but I can't remember his bloody name. It's right at the beginning of him. I wouldn't oh, say how many marriages have you broken up to be forgetting names? <laughs> um, so many women, <laughs> so many young second. French men <laughs> with glorious hair talking about sales. He did have glorious but, hair, didn't he? His hair was oh, glorious. It's fucking, no, it's some good hair. But if I had that hair, you would take the piss relentlessly. <laughs> of course. Yeah, as you should, really. <laughs> I think the gayest thing about him is that fucking necktie he wears. Yeah, what do they call it? A carafe? No, that's that's the thing you put wine in. Isn't oh, it? for fuck's sake, Connor! Holly, do not take that out. No, it's a cravat. Leave it in. Cravat. That's the word, not a carafe. Oh yeah, I said Holly, do not take it out. Yeah, don't, don't. I'm not embarrassed. You should be, mate. The, you fucking should be. I'd be embarrassed if I called it the Quran. What, what's the that around his neck? Quran. <laughs> Karen. <That'd be> stupid. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> oh. So yeah, embrace your constraints. I mean, uh... and be honest. <sighs> be honest with yourself. That, that, that's really what you were saying there. You have to know all mm. of the uh, the points at play and be honest. Here's, with a, here's a good Don't analogy like for you. Imagine a rifle bullet and the charge in the cartridge goes off. The barrel constrains the bullet and the gases of the expanding explosive to go only one way. So it pushes the bullet out of the barrel, you know, over a thousand miles an hour, and it can for a, a big sniper's rifle, you can you can kill someone two miles away. Now imagine if you just had that bullet sitting on your desk and you could somehow con contrive to set the charge off in the back of a bullet. 
well, yeah, it'll kind of blow up, but the bullet wouldn't go very far, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't go in any particular direction, would it? It'd just be nope. a, a bit of a fucking clusterfuck around you. Bit of a mess. Yeah. So the constraint of the barrel makes the bullet far more effective. Or imagine you are the bullet in your business. And you set things up so you've got a focus and you, you've got a, a goal. And the goal for you is your target two miles away. Well, having those constraints helps you focus and keep yourself on track. So when your bullet goes off and you light the blue touch paper or hit the big green go button, you're pushed in one direction and one direction only. Yeah. That's and so a good that metaphor, bullet, that, wasn't it? That was a good metaphor. And imagine made it up on the, the spur uh, of the moment. What's it called? The... Um... Is it, what's it called? On the inside of the barrel. Uh, it tends the to rifling. Like scored. The rifling. The rifling. Imagine the rifling on, on the barrel is only so good and the, the bullet only has a certain amount of gunpowder so it can actually only go a mile and your target's two miles away. Well, then your first constraint is realizing, right, we're a mile short here. So the first question is, how do we close that mile? And you might have a, a donkey that you need to ride on or you might have a nice little uh, quad bike but you've got to know your constraints because if it's two miles away, you're a mile and your bullet only goes a mile. Well, you now know you need to get a mile closer. Do you know why the inside of the barrel is rifled? To make the bullet spin? Yeah. Do you know why the bullets, why they want the bullet to spin? Uh, increases the aerodynamics. In more of a case, it keeps it on track because of the angular momentum of the bullet stops it, keeps it going in a thing, in a straight okay. line, pretty much. So kind, I was kind of right. Well, I'm not sure about how much of the aer- it affects the aerodynamics, so that's why I, I, I didn't even consider that. But that's possible. But the main thing is is the spinning of the bullet, this angular momentum. It's like if you get a gyroscope spinning and yeah. you try to turn it, it's very difficult to turn it, yeah, uh, yeah. or to to change its axis of rotation. It's the same with the bullet. The, the the biggest impact those sort of things have had in my life is learning about centrifugal. Is it centrifugal? Centrifugal. Centrifugal no force. Cent- centrifugal force. Yeah, it's fucking. When I learned that at a very young age, uh, probably thirteen, <laughs> I had the bright idea. Well, that means that whenever a sauce bottle is running empty, and I want to get the last little bit of Heinz ketchup out, out of the bottle, I just have to hold it a particular way and swing my arm round, and round, and round, and all of the sauce will go to the bottom, and I'll be able to empty out the uh, the bottle of ketchup. And I did it at home. I thought it was the best thing ever. And then, of course, uh, graduated to filling up cups of water and uh, spinning that round and round, much to my parents' horror. And I was like, science bitch to my mum. That got me in trouble. But Well, strictly speaking, it's not a centrifugal force. Strictly speaking, it's no such thing. It's centripetal force. But <sighs> is that where the, the pressure, rather than going outwards, is going inwards or something? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Because look, the, 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 they say the, the the water in the bucket wants to go in a straight line. Yes, but the force of the bottom of the bucket pressing down on the water, yeah, stops it doing that. So it's centripetal mm-hmm. force. There's nothing pushing the bucket. There's nothing pushing the the water out. If that makes sense, it does make sense. That's why I described it so eloquently. Oh, it's the pressure coming in rather than out. Genius, mate. Mm. Well, it's not, not really the pressure; it's force. Two things right. are not the same. Yeah, I'm going to start showing Pressure myself Pressure exerts up here. force. Yeah, I'm going to start showing myself up here. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not get into physics and mathematics, mate. <laughs> no, no, no. You'll lose that one. Yeah, hey, I know. I will. I will. I will. I will. I'll be embarrassed when I... 
Oh. And Holly has put on the uh, the planning sheet for the podcast, and fucking of course she has, because it validates her whole job role, that we must talk about systemization and organization. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Do we want to talk about that? Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it very briefly. People talk about systems and processes a lot and thinking it's the holy grail. Well, we've been there. Um, yes, it's important to know what you're doing and how you do it. Uh, but there's also there's also a time and a place to embrace chaos, isn't there, John? We recently threw up all of our tore up all of our systems and processes, and right went fuck it. Form follows function. We're smart guys. We 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 trust our intuition. We're just going to do what we fancy and see what sticks, which then allowed us to cut away a load of shit from the old systems and processes because they were proven to be waste. One of the easiest ways you can get going with systems and processes, which are important, especially as your business grows, because you need to have some form of uniformity to be able to test. You don't want your salespeople, uh, most importantly, winging it. You don't want your tech team winging it when setting up automations and whatnot. Um you do need there is a time and a place for that structure and if you have nothing the easiest place to start is by just going on to like lucidchart or figma or just a pen and paper and just hand draw a business model almost in a way and make sure you've got your traffic sources in there so where you get your leads from um and then map map the flow of activity and movement so you right you get a lead where do they go next where do you push them to so for us it's social media and ads and whatnot and they get pushed exclusively to um uh, and the podcast and that all gets exclusively pushed to um the books and the webinars that we do so we've got a couple of boxes there social media, podcasts, they go down to selling books and join the webinars. Then underneath that, there's the, the flow of movement down to daily emails. We've got Connor's list, we've got John's list, and we've got the membership site. There are nurture sequences. And then we have mapped out very clearly our sales mechanism. So all of that is trying to do is push people into triage. And this is where you get that funnel that people talk about. And then after triage is the sales presentations. And then we have the, uh, the products and how they relate to, do, to each other. Once you've got that drawn out, ask yourself, you, you've identified at a very top view down all of the processes in your company really now your first thought shouldn't be to document them no it should be ask yourself what can i get rid of where's the junk what's the waste if you want the boat to go faster you need fewer passengers you want as little junk activities in your business as possible keep doing that keep documented keep cutting and then eventually when you get to a point where it's like no right this is a nice lean business then you can get to documenting uh and don't overcomplicate it. We just use Google Docs to document our processes. Easy peasy. Don't laugh. You love your documents, don't you? They were. I mean, <laughs> one one thing I was saying, it might sound like I'm contradicting Con here, but I'm not. But once, when we talk about this, or when I talk about people, to people about doing this, they will get stuck in the mud and do nothing because they don't know how to do it perfectly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So my advice to them is I always I, t I like to tell stories. So when they built the Microsoft campus years ago and they had a lot of grass and stuff and they wanted to build paths between the buildings. And so the story goes, it might not be true, it might be true. But it's a good story anyway. Um, Bill Gates said, no, don't build any paths yet. Let's just see where people walk. So 
that's what they did. And then when, after a while, they'd scored the, the walks in the grass, that's when they put the paths down because that's the people's preferred route. So if you're really stuck on it and you think, I don't know where to begin with, with funnel, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I just don't know. Just document what you already do. I don't mean to, don't judge it. All right. Just document what people already do. That's your starting point. Then cut all the stuff out that Connor spoke about. But just well, that, do that, because that, that gives you a benchmark. It gives you a a metric of where you are that's, now. That's not even a contradiction. That's almost exactly what I said. You start okay. with chaos. You start but, with you know, chaos. Just Bill Ga- you just do. think Bill Gates. Now I know Bill Gates has got some fundamental issues and people have got issues with him. Please don't shoot the messenger. Okay, even Adolf Hitler might have painted some decent pictures. I don't know. But that was a brilliant way to figure out how can we lay paths on this campus so people will stick to the paths. There's a way. And we all know, we all we've all been on places where there are the shortcuts that people walk across the grass. Well, there should be a path there. Mm. Don't force people to stick to the path. Make the path where the people want to walk. Yeah. For the most part, there are. I mean, when it comes to sales, there are reasons to change what you're doing and take a different path. But that's a different matter. Just first document what you've already got. <clears throat> Start with chaos, blank slate. Uh, if anyone's interested, I can post it into the membership group. What ours look like looks like. It's very simple, very very simple. But the main thing is is uh, getting rid of the junk because every every piece in your business should have a really clear purpose uh, and a result that it's responsible for. Um, for the most part, if it doesn't, you've really got to ask yourself, why is it there then? If there's no clear reason for it being there. I hope you're happy with that, Holly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Holly. And on that note, time to wrap up. So Connor, how do we wrap up today? I gotta to go to the gym. I really don't want to. Uh, like, oh, I'm genuinely really oh, sore. Oh, Connor, baby! Oh no! Oh. I was in the gym at six o'clock this morning. I don't like going to the gym in the morning. I don't care. I don't care that you want to go. If a client came to you, you repeat it. Client came to you and says, "I don't like going to the gym in the morning." What would you say? Just fucking get I, your camera. Go, go to in the, the afternoon then. No, you wouldn't. Yes, I would. No, you would. There, there, there is no tangible benefit to going in the morning. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. What? It's done now. <laughs> I'm not sitting. Okay, here's the tangible benefit. I'm sitting in now thinking I've got the whole day ahead of me to do some work. You're in your yeah, whinging and whining. You, whilst about... you was in the gym, I've been sat at my desk doing loads of. What work. time do you sit at your desk? Uh, I was at my desk at seven thirty this morning. All right. So, with the time, the time you were sitting at your desk, I'd got up, I'd done my mobility training, I'd been in the gym, I'd had a shit and a shower, and I was about to make Sarah a cup of tea. I was writing daily email. Next point. What's your point? What time do you go to bed? Me. No, I was because whilst you're sleeping in the <laughs> evening, I'm also doing those things. I'm doing. No, you're not. I'm no, you're not. Email. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. Last thing in the evening, you're shagging your girlfriend. Mate, she's asleep by nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah. She's a child. She's like that when she's with me as well. <laughs> uh, I, I was probably asleep last night by about 10 o'clock. I was in bed yeah. by half eight reading. Yeah, you fucking soft cock. Twat. Soft cock. <laughs> well, I'm not denying that. That's on the testosterone, <laughs> well, She mate. was in bed at 8.30. I was still fucking working. I was doing what, my what? shit. Yeah, yeah. So is this, is this why I get 
strange emails that I pick up in the morning or or messages, things like, look at this, and it's some random podcast of some of the bright, shiny object you want to buy. Oh, you, you Mr. Bright Shiny Object himself. Oh, fuck off, am I? I'm not a magpie. You are. No, you're the you're the big magpie. <laughs> no, than me. Splutter, splutter, splutter. <laughs> you're just like your father. You are. He does that. He splutters. Uh, you're just like your father. Fucking dead. Dead. <laughs> <and> useless. <laughs> dead and useless. Rotting, uh, mate. You're rotting. Yourself. Bless it. No, my dad's crem- my dad's cremated. He's blowing in the wind. At, um. Some reservoir or other, we, we ditched his ashes out. Do ashes biodegrade or do they just exist forever? I don't think so. They probably don't so much biodegrade as just get mixed in with the soil and get chewed up by worms. They don't, they don't rot or down. anything. They're just minerals, really, aren't they, at that point? And on that note, if you would like a magpie and some soft cock twat to work on your business, <laughs> email holly at uh, wellfedbusiness.com. Because it's almost like we Connor. know what we're talking about. Yes. Remember that? I do. I do. We need to get some more made up. I really, I'll tell you what, a bright, shiny object I get distracted with a lot is uh, swag. Swag. I'm not fooling for it. I got done. No, no, I, that was genuine. I don't know what you mean by swag. Uh, like company swag. Like things with our logo on, T-shirts. Oh, goodies. on. Goodies, swag. Oh, they call you. It. Okay, okay, okay. I got you now. Uh, that was a genuine one, Connor. That was. Oh, okay. Form follows function. Indeed. And I'm so alert to it now. But that's that's a big, bright, shiny object. I, ha- I have like a dream that my closet it is just not full of any clothes that I own, but just with company clothes. <laughs> this man is so fucking sad. No, just imagine that nice little denim jacket you got on. Imagine it had this one, a little well-fed, yeah, this one, a nice little well-fed business logo on it. It'd be so cool. No, it wouldn't. Yes, it would. It'd be really fucking tacky. No, it wouldn't. It would. It You're really the would. one wearing company swag right now. Does that make you tacky? Yes. Fair no, enough. it makes the Take shirt tacky. <laughs> it just so happened this was on the on the on the washing no, thing, like a, a, a the small WF logo, just nice, small, and no, tasteful. I, I think it'd tacky. be awful. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like in the in the right, there's a time and a place for it, such as at events. How is that tacky? But for everyday wear, it's just sad. Why is it sad? If I have to explain it to you, there's no point because you won't get it. Get it. That was pathetic. It really yeah, was. I, 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 thought, I, I thought I had you. <laughs> what I was trying to do there is uh, pace I was just trying to pace you up, pace you up, pace you up, and then I thought I'd get you. But... Yeah. Uh, remember, I'm autistic, not stupid. <laughs> Two go hand in hand, mate. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> there is actually, let's finish on this, a bit of self-deprecating humour. There is, there is this unfounded belief, common wisdom, myth autistic people are generally more intelligent they're not autism is actually correlated with low intelligence and learning disabilities not high the reason this myth comes about is because some of them some of us are when we are intelligent it's either one or the other there's there's very few of average intelligence it seems you're either fucking right at the pinnacle brain the size of a planet or you're a complete mong um and i am not a mong i might be a minger but i'm not a mong you're tacky, mate, and you're fucking shit top. We're never making company swag again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
dear. Yeah, we love we love company swag when we're at the fucking events. Just like look like a little WF logo there. Oh, I'd wear it with pride, mate. What gay pride? You and that I'd French wear it bloke. With don't gay you? pride. Me and that French bloke. He'd have a nice little <laughs> Quran round his neck. WF one. Beautiful. Mm. Don't blame me when you get your head cut off for that, mate. What did I say? Quran. Oh, I meant caveat. <laughs> no, you meant cravat. Oh, that's the one. Fucking <laughs> hell. Let's wrap up there before you really embarrass yourself. Oh, that was all on purpose. Come on. Of course it was. That, on that purpose. Was... Shut up. And if you want to work with us, email holly at wellfedbusiness.com. See you later. Oh, God, you'll have these two numpties in your business. What are we doing? How do we have a successful business? Fuck me. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>